Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning. It is our third morning here at the National Religious Broadcast Convention, and we have been discussing with a lot of uh, different newsmakers and uh, media outlets and, and just other colleagues who are also concerned about living our Christian faith, not only within our communities and our families, and of course, bringing truth into community and family and our churches, but also to stand up and be bold and speak in the public square, which of course concerns all of the media outlets and certainly here on American Family Radio Network. And it's just been a really wonderful uh, convention. And uh, speaking of, of media and uh, the kind of moving forward into 2023, uh, we have a presidential announcement that will be coming tonight in a very unique format. And I was um, delighted, actually, to learn that uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is going to make his announcement tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time on a Twitter space with Elon Musk. I think this is a uh, really brilliant uh, forum, and I'm going to be talking about that later uh, today on my podcast side, you can find that at thejennaellisshow.com with a uh, young friend of mine who is, um, I think, has turned you know, the, the ripe old age of maybe 16, possibly, uh, brilliant Holly Hand, who is now uh, heading up the, uh, the youth uh, side of engagement with the RNC. I've actually known him since my work uh, for President Trump. He runs the Truth Gazette, and he's going to give me his take on that. But this morning, I am so grateful to be joined in studio by my very dear friend, colleague, you know him well, AFR listeners, as Abraham Hamilton III, host of the Hamilton Corner that I've uh, been so blessed to be a guest on. But now you get to join me here, so welcome, Abe. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you. Yes, and I'm so delighted today in particular that uh, we can talk about the DeSantis announcement. We can talk about the setup to the 2024 primary uh, from a Christian perspective because there is going to be a bloodbath among <laughs> among conservatives, among voters, among, I think, um, a lot of people who would describe themselves in general as conservatives. And so uh, first off, what do you think um, initially just of the announcement itself coming in the form of a Twitter space and, and with Elon Musk? Yeah. Does it have to be a bloodbath? Is that doesn't have to be, but I think be? it's going yeah. to be. Now, I, I think that was a, a, a rather shrewd move. Um, by Governor DeSantis to use Elon Musk and the, the Twitter space to make his announcement. Um, it is uh, a repudiation of legacy media. You know, it is him taking advantage of, of a modern day, the modern day public square, really. Um, you look at, for example, Tucker Carlson's videos on Twitter that are outpacing <laughs> uh, regular news outlets, television shows and things of that nature. And it just it just really is another uh, example of his deft touch. Um, I really believe that Governor DeSantis's time as Florida's governor has not only been a blessing for the people of Florida, but it's also kind of shined a light on Republican governors across the country and caused many of their constituents to say, 
can we do that kind of stuff in our state? And why haven't we if we can do that? And so uh, using Twitter spaces, uh, I'm not surprised, um, but I I think it's a very, very shrewd move by, by Governor DeSantis. And I think you'll see astronomical numbers tuning in. Uh, to his announcement this evening. I I do too. And I think, as you said, um, Abe Hamilton, that it is a repudiation of legacy media, but legacy media will be covering it anyway. So I think rather than just making an announcement in a traditional Mm -hmm. uh, format where you have, you know, the high rise of all of the media cameras and everything, they're going to be forced to tune into someone else's Mm -hmm. channel, which happens to be Elon Musk, and they're Mm going to carry it anyway. Mm -hmm. But he's reaching a lot of people that wouldn't traditionally watch those channels and would only have the filtered version of whatever his discussion or his announcement says. Mm -hmm. They're going to see it. And this is also worldwide now, which I think is is also fascinating from that perspective. And and also, it's going to be a discussion. So one of the responses that I got, um, a good friend, uh, Dave Marcus, you, uh, those of you who uh, read The Federalist, some of those outlets will be familiar with that name. And his comment was, well, aren't you kind of then, you know, the bridesmaid to your own announcement if it's a discussion? And that to me, I was going, well, you know, no, I think a lot of us want the discussion <laughs> instead of just, you know, the dude behind the podium making this announcement. And, you know, Trump spoke for, I think, over an hour at his. And the comment then from media was, this went on too long. Just come out, make your announcement, and then let us talk. You know, So I feel like any politician can't do everything correctly. Somebody is going to comment, right? That, that's hilarious to me. The bridesmaid to your own <laughs> announcement. Like, they're tuning in because Ron DeSantis is going to be talking about his announcement. I, 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 that's just that's an, an hilarious and really out-of-touch take really people at home that's sitting around you know eating barbecue they're not sitting there saying oh this dude's bridesmaid to his own announcement (laughs) not in the least bit it's just hilarious and i also think it it is uh a tip of the cap governor DeSantis deserves a tip of the cap because it's well known that elon musk has come out in support of tim scott Mm. who's announced his run for the presidency and so it shows that even though he knows elon musk has expressed support for governor uh sorry for senator tim scott He's still willingly going to have the conversation with him, primarily because of of the platform, but also to give the visible demonstration that, hey, even if you are not an express supporter of mine, I'm willing to sit down and have a conversation with you because, of course, he hadn't said this yet. My goal is not merely to be uh, the president for people who have expressed support for me. My goal is to be the president of all Americans. I think it's a really, really, really good move by Governor DeSantis. Yeah, I I would 100 percent agree with that. And regardless of those listening, if you are solidly in the Trump camp, you're already solidly with DeSantis, you're maybe undecided, you're with Tim Scott or you're with Mm -hmm. someone else. Whoever the GOP nominee is will have to make some converts from Mm -hmm. the other camp and also will have to get independence in the general election. Mm -hmm. So the primary, um, to me, cannot be geared only to solidly red conservatives because we need to be asking the question, who would be the best advocate for the country in the general election. And so I have said I'm going to support the best candidate in the general election. And what bothers me so much about how this primary is shaping up and why I say it will be a bloodbath, but I I appreciate your comment. Does it really have to be? It doesn't have to be. And I don't think it should be because are we really trying to tear down the, the best conservative governor in the country right now, whose Florida blueprint, I would love every state to look like Florida, frankly, and I think every genuine conservative and especially Christian would agree Mm -hmm. with that. 
And we can move forward saying we support what Governor DeSantis has done in the state of Florida. We support the significant wins President Trump had during his administration. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to disparage any of those things. I want to accurately critique certain things that I don't like, of course, and we should be honest about that. But we don't have to try to tear each other down, especially people who ultimately disagree with our support or our rationale. We should be better than that, especially mm-hmm. as Christians. I, I absolutely agree with that. And it, it it shouldn't be lost on people that when Ron DeSantis initially became governor of Florida, he only won by like a 32,000 vote margin. I mean, the state of Florida was a razor's edge away from Andrew Gillum. Yeah. I can't even <laughs> say good g- yeah. after Gillum. But being Florida's governor and then to have that to manifest in his reelection campaign where he overwhelmingly won reelection in the state of Florida, it shows that governing with constitutionalists and conservative policies are not merely attractive to people, not only attractive to people who are, you know, rock rib Republican supporters, but it has the capacity to persuade Miami-Dade County. Who saw that coming? You know, and other places like that. And then uh, in light of, of, of your point, it shouldn't have to be, and maybe this is just the, the idealist in me to some degree, but it shouldn't have to be a bloodbath. We should, as as citizens and constituents, want to have the best candidate. We should not be involved in the politics of self-destruction, you know, ad hominem attacks and things of that nature. We should all want the best candidate for the nation going forward. And so the primary process should focus on policies, and it should focus on what will put the nation in the best best light instead of, Eh, you're opposed to me, it's going to be a search and destroy mission. Right. Or, you know, if you don't uh, support Donald Trump, you're a traitor. If you don't support DeSantis, then you're irrational. Or, you know, some Mm -hmm. of these things that we should be having a conversation about loyalty, but loyalty first and foremost to Christ, and then because of our Christian faith, also to making our country perfected into a more perfect union. That's absolutely right. And, And loyalty... The reality is in our constitutional republic with democratic features, we are the people who possess the power. We should seek those who are loyal to the American people, not to any particular persona or personality. And what I find in my my conversations with people is that I know those who are Republican voters who like former President Trump and they like Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't know very many people who dislike both, just strident, passionately, feverishly dislike them both. And so I, I, I really... You know, if I could sit candidates down in a room, I would say, you know, it probably is not in your best interest to attack the person who really may really, really love you, but they also love the person you're attacking, you know, right. and that's on all sides of the spectrum. Right. And um, and I would I would personally fall into that camp where I love and appreciate President Trump for what he did in the administration. Of course, he is my former boss. I mean, I know him personally, Mm -hmm. Um, appreciate so many things about him. Um, I've gotten to know Governor DeSantis some, you know, not as well, but I appreciate uh, the people around him that I know as well. And then, um, of course, interviewed him on this network on Monday. And um, Mm -hmm. I, I thought he was brilliant in his expression. So I actually genuinely have so much respect for both of them. Now, does that mean that 
I can't critique certain things. Well, I've been very, I mean, last year I took a ton of heat from the conservative community for saying, I'm not really sure that Governor DeSantis is going after Disney in the mm-hmm. way that he is because of constitutional principles. Now, mm-hmm. I disagree with what Disney is saying mm-hmm. and what they're promoting, but from a freedom of speech perspective, the Constitution covers their speech as much as it covers mm-hmm. yours and mine right now. Mm-hmm. So we need to always be looking at that. And, you know, that was a, oh my gosh, well, conservative doing good thing and outcome driven. And I'm and I'm like, well, if if Gavin Newsom in California was doing the exact same thing against a Christian company, you guys would be taking the opposite position. We can't be outcome driven. Right. And then when I say things like President Trump should not be attacking Governor DeSantis, this isn't wise. I don't like his rhetoric, whatever. Then it's like, oh, my gosh, you can't say that, Jenna. And I and I feel like we need to get above the siloed perspectives and say, my loyalty is not to one individual mm-hmm. or former boss or future anything. My loyalty is to Christ first mm-hmm. and to the biblical principles that should dictate my views of civil society. Absolutely right. And and um, what happened to principles? You know, yeah. if, you, if you believe in our Constitution, those constitutional principles should persist no matter who's the standard bearer in any particular party. Uh, one of the things that I've expressed concern about with Governor DeSantis, is he seems to be a fan of the usage of executive power. Right. And that, for, to me, as a constitutionalist, is a bit concerning. Now, I still like Governor DeSantis, but I'm willing to say out loud what I would say. How dare what, you? What I have said about <laughs> Mr. Robinette and his ice cream loving, uh, the utilization of ex- executive power, if it exceeds the constitutional boundaries, I'm going to call balls and strikes that it has exceeded the constitutional boundaries. Doesn't mean I don't like you. And in fact, I really believe that by offering substantive critiques for the people that we like, we help make them better candidates and ultimately better public servants. We cannot fall into this notion really, and I'll just call it what it is, of idolatry. Mm. Idolatry of personality. And I get it. Some some people, especially Republican voters, feel as if we've been pushed to the margin so much so that we just want to win of some sort. And I'm just going to say it very plainly. Not all wins are wins. If you perceive it as a win, but the person is using the same mechanisms that if it was somebody wearing the other team's jersey, if they were gangbanging with another color on, you would be calling foul. But because it's a person who's wearing your colors that you're going to just wax ignorant, I think that's that's hypocritical. It's false, and ultimately, it doesn't serve the candidate that you profess to love well um, if they're if they're immune to critique. The way that idols are created is that we we venerate their positive qualities and we ignore any negative qualities, act like they don't exist. That's how idols are created. Mm, so well said. And I'm speaking with Abraham Hamilton the third, the host of the Hamilton Corner. That is one of my personal favorite shows on American Family Radio Network because you are just so articulate. Always love what you cover, and he'll be joining me following in the next segment. So we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. This is Abraham Hamilton III with AFR, and we're sending Bibles to Asia. Here's Michael with Bible League International. Tears of joy, they're flowing. For weeks now, we've told you of Christians in Asia who are denied God's Word, you know, in many parts of this region, including China, India, Indonesia, and the list goes on. You know, as many as 9 of 10 Christians have no access to the Word of God. That means they can't read God's precious promises like you and I can do every single day. Here's an elderly woman who reacted when she finally received her own Bible. 
Bible. She knelt down and she cried. At the age of 60, she never had a Bible. AFR listeners, you put tears of joy on the faces of 5,000 Bibleist believers in Asia. We want to do it for 16,000 by June 30th. Will you pray about getting involved today, Abraham? $5 sends a Bible. That's only $5 for a Bible. $100 sends 20. $500 sends 100. You can give by calling 800 Yes Word. That's 800 Yes Word. Or visit SendBiblesNow.org. That's SendBiblesNow.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Marilyn Strickland, U.S. Representative from Washington's 10th Congressional District. She has served since 2021 and is the former mayor of the city of Tacoma. James 2.17 reminds us of the importance of doing good works. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Marilyn Strickland as she represents the people of Washington. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Uh, my goal as a teacher is, is to impart knowledge and then be able then for them to take it and turn it into wisdom. As we teach, I think, okay, five years down the road, how will the material that I am teaching them really affect their lives and their careers? Hi, Todd Starnes here. Truett offers biblically-centered degree programs. Check out truett.edu slash Starnes. Zion Brown's mother deserves to be named Mother of the Year. The other day, Chicago TV stations broadcast video of a terrible crime. A masked man held a train conductor at gunpoint demanding cash. Mrs. Brown saw the video and her jaw dropped. She knew the eyes peering behind the mask. It was her 18-year-old son, Zion, a sophomore at Loyola University. Her motherly instinct kicked in, but instead of protecting her son, she grabbed him by the ear and dragged him to the local police station. Zion's attorney said his client was hungry and wanted something to eat, so he pulled out his gun, took cash from the train conductor, got some food, and went back to class. The judge says that was not a reasonable defense and ordered him held without bail. No doubt a terrible moment for Mrs. Brown, but a reminder that sometimes the most effective kind of love is tough love. Be sure to download a copy of my new book, Our Daily Biscuit, Devotions with a Drawl. It's available at your favorite bookstore or online at toddsterns.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And of course, the top trending story this morning is the announcement of Governor Ron DeSantis that he will be uh, throwing his hat into the ring for the presidential race tonight on a Twitter space at 6 p.m. Eastern with Elon Musk. And there was a headline that just came through in the break. And I'm talking with uh, my very special guest this morning, Abraham Hamilton, the third host of the Hamilton Corner, right here on American Family Radio Network. And this is from the Post Millennial. And it says the, the headline is The Atlantic, triggered by Elon Musk's commitment to free speech, falsely accuses platform of being far right. <laughs> and I'm just laughing at this because, um, you know, I, th- I think this is such a great forum that genuinely Elon Musk is is catering to everyone's viewpoint 
and has suggested that. But to all of these crazy leftists that want to be the arbiters of truth, if you allow a difference of opinion, suddenly, in their view, you are condoning and affirming that opinion simply because you're allowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the touchstone of, of tyrannical despotism. If you if there is an opinion that I do not share, then you are not allowed to express it. You know, it's just it's just absurd. You're accusing Elon Musk, the dude who created the first American uh, electric car because of his commitment to the green energy agenda. I mean, I mean, that's the truth. He created electric cars. You know, he wants to find wants to create a colony of human life on Mars. I mean, it's just absurd. And it's sad that we've devolved to such a place in our society, having historically been the beacon of liberty and free speech, to where we just lob us insults, you know, categorical assumptions and, and demonization simply because someone may dare to express an opinion that we may differ with to any degree. It's just absurd. It, it really is. And this is why, as we were talking about before the break as well, uh, Abe Hamilton, that we have to be constitutional conservatives that are rooted and based in an understanding of the biblical worldview and the contours of morality and mm-hmm. what is God's moral law and how that should and must influence society. And that needs to be at the base and the core and the heart mm-hmm. of what we advocate for. And so when we're talking about um, all of these top-level issues then that, that are granular in policy, mm-hmm. then we need to always be looking at this, not who is advocating for a position or who is signing, for example, an executive order. Mm-hmm. If we happen to like that Republican or dislike that Democrat, we always have to look at the substance of mm-hmm. it, and we have to look at the mechanism and the process by which that is uh, being put into our society and and, um, what the actions of the state are. And we shouldn't be saying on one hand, oh, these are great executive orders because they come from Trump or DeSantis, Mm -hmm. and they're bad if they come from Biden or Gavin Newsom. Mm -hmm. We need to be looking at the Constitution. Absolutely. Some of the remarks I made earlier in the previous segment about Governor DeSantis and uh, calling balls and strikes, uh, celebrating things that are good and critiquing things that are bad are the exact same remarks I said about former President Trump. You know, there were some people who even got upset with me was, well, you you shouldn't say that because you you could be weakening his presidency. I'm like, weakening his presidency? I supported the man and voted for him twice. I'm not weakening his presidency by pointing out this is an area that you're making yourself vulnerable. And on top of all of that, and this is the way I approach civic engagement across the board, as an American citizen, I and my fellow American citizens are the one who maintain the power to exercise authority over our government. Candidates are applying to me and to you for a job. I am determining the criteria that I'm requiring of someone who is asking me for a job. The baseline for the criteria that I am employing starts with the Bible and is bookended by the Constitution. I am unwilling to compromise my commitment to either. So whoever is applying to me for the job, I'm going to take out my matrices and see who comes closest to what I require of a servant in these particular capacities. And I think that's the approach that we all must continue to have, regardless of the pomp and the circumstance and the Secret Service guards and the Treasury and the budgets. These are people who are employed to serve our objectives and agendas, and we have to maintain 
that perspective mm-hmm. in order to be to do our job in preserving this wonderful experiment in self-government, as Benjamin Franklin said, as a republic, if you can keep it. So well said. And I would just add to that as well that looking forward into this primary – using those very same metrics, which I will also employ as an American citizen, as someone committed to the Bible and to the U.S. Constitution, our system of government, I I will never find a perfect candidate, right? right. So it's always about who comes closest. That's right. And I do believe when you have a wider bench like a Trump, a DeSantis, a Tim Scott, mm-hmm. any of those people mm-hmm. would be great in mm-hmm. office. We've seen the track record in the executive branch, frankly, with both Trump and with Governor DeSantis. Um, we've, I've seen things I would critique, but way better for the country and way mm-hmm. closer to that, um, to that perfect standard, right, mm-hmm. than anyone on the Democrat side. Mm, And so I do think that as Christians, we could make a reasoned constitutional case for supporting Donald Trump, for supporting Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis, for supporting um, even Vivek Ramaswamy or Mm -hmm. Tim Scott. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in Vivek, there's been questions about, um, you know, his being a Hindu versus a Christian. I think Mm -hmm. those are significant questions that we should be talking about. Right. And so what I don't like is Mm -hmm. that people who who will then challenge if they're in either the Trump or the DeSantis camp that you, other third party, cannot possibly be rational or reasonable mm-hmm. if you arrive at a different conclusion of who is closest mm-hmm. than I do. Yes. And I think that if someone, if there is a voter, that their metric is one based on loyalty, based on, um, you know, they, they don't want to be personally attacked or, you know, something else besides mm-hmm. the Bible and the Constitution, then maybe that's not the best rational argument. I'll push back on that. Mm-hmm. But if you can tell me a reasoned case for why you're supporting Trump or DeSantis, great. And this is what we used to do on a regular basis in America. I mean, right? what, what, what is the problem? We have these same – listen, you go to the barbershops in America and say, hey, who's the best basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan, LeBron James, whoever it is. You have people on the street making arguments about these things that are not anywhere near as consequential as who will serve in the Oval Office. But we seem to have lost our capacity to make these reasoned arguments in this, this regard. The point you made about Vivek Ramaswamy is a great point because we have to be – cognizant of the worldviews that undergird the people that are applying to us for our jobs. I remember uh, having a conversation with, with, with some attorneys and we were talking about Neil Gorsuch's appointment to the bench and, 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 and they wanted to avoid any worldview considerations concerning Neil Gorsuch and I, some other people were saying, wait, we need to be aware of this. And I, I think Neil Gorsuch is a wonderful uh, justice on a lot of areas, but there were indications that he was a little bit soft on things like sexual orientation, gender identity, before he was confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Some people got upset with me for pointing that out. And I said, these are things that we should ask. It should not be just a a, a cold, uh, bifurcated, separate analysis of jurisprudence because we are human beings. Our worldviews will be brought into everything that we do. And unfortunately, among the wonderful things that Justice Gorsuch has done on the bench, he is the author of the Bostic opinion. He is the author of the opinion that literally is asserting that in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, gender identity and sexual orientation is included in a statute that was passed at the time when homosexuality was outlawed in almost every state in the union. Is that um, strict constructionist constitutional interpretation? I don't think so. It's it's not. It is wedging worldview into the dialogue. That is an example of what we need to um, address as we consider who's going to serve us 
in every office, not just the highest office in the land, but what goes on right in our neighborhoods. A lot of us, unfortunately, pay so much attention to what's going on nationally, we have no clue who our city council members are, who our school board members are. You know, I've been talking to my program about a school board member in Washington Elementary School District in Arizona, and I unaffectionately refer to her as cat ears because she literally wore cat ears to the school board meeting. Oh, my gosh. Literally. And she just got elected in November at a January school board hearing, led the board to unanimously rescind the contract with Arizona Christian University because the school district would hire elementary education students to do their practicum. She led the crusade to eliminate them. Why? Because they actually believed the Bible. Unanimously voted. Thank goodness our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom represented Arizona Christian University, and they rescinded that in short order. But my point is, how did cat ears get on a school board? Nobody was paying attention except the people who wanted her there for their own strategic reasons. And this is why you are absolutely right to use these examples, including Justice Gorsuch, and say all the way down ticket, we need to be paying attention of what's going on in our own backyard, our own state, not just the national top-level news, because we need to be concerned about everyone who is in a position of government power and authority over us and whether they will exercise that correctly. And this is why when people come to me and they say, don't criticize a Republican, because that's infighting. I say, well, no, no, no. My, my commitment is not to the Republican Party. My commitment is to the U.S. Constitution, which is founded in a biblical worldview. So if a Republican or a Democrat does something good and constitutional, I will applaud that. If they do something that violates the, the margins and the contours of the U.S. Constitution, I will criticize that. But we have gotten so siloed that it's, it's like it's a binary choice, Republican good, Democrat bad, as a knee-jerk reaction. And so now people are taking that same approach with respect to Trump and DeSantis. They don't want to criticize anything of their preferred candidate. And um, and we were also talking about um, Abe Hamilton speaking of something to critique, I think, about both men in their mm-hmm. capacity when they they each were a chief executive, and DeSantis, of course, still currently is, the use of executive power and executive mm-hmm. overreach. Um, there were a lot of things that President Trump did during his administration by executive order. Mm-hmm. And in in my view, he was, whether you want to blame this on Paul Ryan, which I, I think do. is apt. Yes, I do too. Um, he didn't or perhaps couldn't really work effectively with Congress. So a lot of what he did, other than the appointments to the federal bench, mm-hmm. um, then were not really wins for the next 40 years. No, because day one <laughs> of Mr. Robinette, he eviscerates the entire legacy of his executive power execution by former President Trump, which is why we need to have lasting change. And, and, and to say that you, you can't, uh, criticize Republicans, how do you have a Republican president who came into office with majorities in both houses and you can't, mm, I don't know, get a wall built? You know, I, I, th- these th- these things are, are absurd to me again. And, and to say that you cannot criticize them, it actually does not help. It doesn't help the candidate. And then it doesn't help the objectives that you're seeking to accomplish because you have to be able to rightly point out the things that are have not that have not been done properly. You definitely want to applaud the things that are done well, but the things that that are not done well, they need to be called out to encourage subsequent public servants and those who may be in office at the time to make the adjustment. Because remember, we are the people 
who have the authority. We are not vassals. We're not serfs. We're not, uh, uh, you know, uh, in a monarchy. This is a constitutional republic with democratic features. They work for us, and we need to remind them of that. Yes, and we also need to make sure then that we are championing the process as it's designed and not be a fan of the tyrants when they are exercising their authority in a way that we prefer and then setting bad precedent for then when the other side and the outcome that we don't prefer uses the exact same mechanism, Mm -hmm. then we say, oh, you're a petty tyrant. Well, no, this is why precedent matters. This is why I'm very concerned about the precedent being set in the DeSantis versus Disney issue Mm -hmm. because I don't want that precedent to be that a Democrat can go after a Christian corporation. And people come and say, well, Disney doesn't deserve special privileges. I don't care what it is that is the object of the retaliation. Mm -hmm. What I care about is that a state actor Mm -hmm. or federal, you know, that's just include government actor, Mm -hmm. does not retaliate against a private company or individual for exercising a constitutionally protected right Mm -hmm. that they disagree with that Mm -hmm. exercise. That, to me, is a bad precedent overall. Mm -hmm. And and again, and and I, I understand, I'm empathetic to the people who would say, but but you don't understand, Disney is, is Satan on wheels. And to that, I agree. However, well, not Satan on wheels, but <laughs> pretty close. Pretty close. Satan um, with ears, maybe. Satan with ears, yeah. You know, <laughs> I disagree um, with that, but you know, <laughs> it's a cute characterization. Yeah. But we need to understand the principles that we could be yielding, you know, endeavoring to win a battle while losing the war. Mm-hmm. You know, is, there, is the reality of free speech constitutionally expressed speech, political speech, are we willing to cede that in order to broadside, broadside Disney? I mean, they, these are conversations we need to have. And, and again, this unfortunate reality because of being pushed to the margin so much so, there's been an ascendancy of Republican progressives. Yes, so well said. And, and this is why um, and that, that's the perfect encapsulation of this and where we only have like three minutes left. But I wanted to ask you, um, Abe Hamilton as well, about, you know, the culture war that's now being brought to from Target, mm-hmm. you know, that is now selling these swimsuits that allow for tucking, mm-hmm. right, of male genitalia in a female swimsuit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think conservatives are rightly disgusted with how in your face all of this is from Target, Disney, others that they just want a win and they want the outcome regardless mm-hmm. of the way we get there. And that that regardless mm-hmm. is the danger. It, it absolutely is the danger. And first and foremost, as Christians, uh, by, any, by any means necessary is not an actionable method of engagement. Not for, not for me, not for us, according to Scripture. Um, Target has expressed their commitment, and there are other ways for us to respond, first and foremost, with our dollars. How do we spend our money? You know, are we going to continue to pour our money similar to Disney? You know, there are a lot of people that are upset about what Disney does, but how many people still have Disney Plus accounts? Mm-hmm. How many people still want to go see the mouse and all these other kind of things? We should be stewards of the resources that God has given us and respond in a way where principles are preserved. Yes, and we need to have a legislative wins, and that's what I applaud DeSantis for because that will be solidified for the state of Florida perpetually, even when he leaves office, which, you know, at the end of his term. So we'll be right back with more Abraham Hamilton III. Really appreciate it right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Is your success in life being stolen? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. Unbelief is involved in every single sin. Why did Eve eat the forbidden fruit? Because she believed the devil's lie rather than God's truth. Hey, if you don't believe God, you'll never be a success. Learn what real success can be like. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. We live in a day when churches are filled with people ready to hear and receive God's mercy. Unfortunately, however, it is often accompanied by a de-emphasis or concealment of the truth of God's word. Paul, the salvation by grace through faith apostle, was asked, if salvation is solely a product of grace, what benefit then does the law provide? Paul responded, without the law, I wouldn't have known God's righteous standard and how far away from it I was. Any presentation of God's mercy, absent God's truth, is no gospel at all. Iniquity is purged by mercy and truth. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Here's Ellis Craft of Reach a Village Ministries. At Reach a Village, we want to make the Great Commission great again. We do church planning work in Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe. We target areas where there are no believers and no house churches. These unreached villages are full of children, and we need your help to get trained, mobilized workers into these areas to disciple them. If you give today, a generous donor is willing to match your gift dollar for dollar for children's ministry. That means you can help reach twice as many children. So $100 will reach 200 children. $500 will reach 1,000 children. This is the last week of the campaign, and we need some big donors to meet our goal of 60,000 children reached with the gospel. Go to reachavillage.org, or you can call Reach a Village at 833-7-REACH-7. Again, that's 833-7-REACH-7. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And of course, there are other things going on in the world besides the upcoming uh, Trump versus DeSantis debate. And we are so blessed to be joined yet again by my good friend, Representative Jim Jordan from Congress to give us an update on a lot of the things that he has been doing. And so, um, Congressman Jordan, thanks so much for joining me again. You bet. Good to be with you, Jenna. Thanks for what you do. Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you for your continued fights on on Congressional Hill and Capitol Hill, because all of this that has been coming to light through um, your hearings, particularly in the weaponization of government committee and, you know, mm-hmm. and the judiciary and some of these others have just been astounding. So um, what to you has been so far the the most, I, I guess, shocking, for lack of a better word, um, thing that you have uncovered in testimony? 
just how broad it is. I mean, think about last week, Jenna. Last week in a five-day time span, we first get the Durham report, which confirmed what we all knew, um, that what they did to President Trump, they launched that investigation into President Trump and his campaign with no evidence, no probable cause, no predicate. In fact, Durham said in his report, the FBI failed in its fundamental mission of fidelity to the law. They didn't follow the law. Then four days later, we have three whistleblowers come and testify. And I understand we've had dozens of whistleblowers come talk to us. We've interviewed several of those. These were the three who were willing to testify. They told us about the, the, the crazy things going on in our Justice Department, targeting parents as radicals, if they, extremists, so using, you know, looking to use um, counterintelligence measures against parents. So that, that issue, then it was the Catholics who they defined as radical traditional Catholics, said they were pro-life Catholics, and on and on and on. And because they were willing to come tell us those things, the retaliation that they faced it was probably the most compelling part of that, that hearing, Mr. O'Boyle, Mr. Friend, and Mr. Uh, Allen, who came and testified. But then the very next day, we get the news report from the New York Times, mainstream liberal press. But the New York Times says 278,000 times the FBI was searching the database on Americans who were exercising their First Amendment liberties. Contrary to the law, they were doing that. All that happens in five days. So that's how serious this is, and that's why it's so important that Speaker McCarthy and Republicans are doing our oversight, uh, doing our oversight work. Yeah, absolutely. It is incredibly important. And I'm so thankful, Congressman Jim Jordan, that we have a Republican majority now on uh, Capitol Hill, at least in the House. And I think we need to grow that into uh, 2024 and retake the Senate as well so that we have this kind of accountability and can get substantive legislative measures through. And so the, the next obvious question that people have been asking about is where is the accountability then? And what what would you say um, to people who are asking, will there be accountability? No, great question. Step one is to, step one is to get the facts out of there. Uh, for the American people. Step step two is to say, okay, now that we have the facts, what legislation can we put forward that would that would help solve this problem, help stop this this kind of behavior? Um, that'll be tough to pass those things because we, we only control the House of Representatives. But um, what we can do is use the power of the purse to say, look, we're not going to let funds be used for certain things. Put restrictions on American tax dollars being used in ways that that that, that shouldn't be uh, spent. And, and frankly, one of the key things we got to do is with the FBI wants a brand new facility, hundreds of millions of dollars. No way. No way is that going to happen. So we got to use the power of the purse, which is the power the founders thought was, was so darn important, and they gave it to the legislature. And in particular, the House, where every spending bill and tax bill has to originate because that's the body closest to the people. So that's the power we ultimately have to use. Yeah, and, and I love that you just f- are flatly saying no way. <laughs> and I hope that yeah. your fellow Republicans will keep that line as well. So when are those types of appropriations uh, actually being considered in terms of funding or perhaps defunding these portions of the FBI that are clearly targeting Americans and particularly yeah. conservatives? In the next couple of weeks, we, 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 we've already been meeting with uh, – we met with some, some of the appropriations staff people uh, last week on the bill that would deal with uh, the Justice Department, with the Homeland Security, you know, like no money can, Homeland Security, here's, here's some language, no money can be used to form a disinformation governance force. It, no money can be used to ship ship illegal migrants all over the country. Like, those are the kind of restrictions you put on the money, and frankly, you cut the funds. So we're working on all those, but that is on hold for the, for the next week or so as we finalize this debt ceiling agreement 
Uh, once that gets finalized, then you will see those bills begin to move through the House of Representatives at a very rapid pace. And I'm speaking with Congressman Jim Jordan, and um, you actually read my mind on the next question, uh, was about this a negotiation of the, of the debt ceiling. And, of course, um, Biden, if he knows that he said this or if this was just his handlers um, and his teleprompter and his, and his Twitter account, said that he actually has the unilateral authority as the president to increase the debt ceiling on his own and made some reference to the 14th Amendment. Um, what is, is what is Exactly. <laughs> The, the, the 14th Amendment talks about the, 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 you have to honor the, the debt. There's, you have to pay your debt, but this doesn't mean you can go go get more money. That that function specifically resides in the founders. Said that is a uh, for where at Congress where that has to originate. And as I said before, every tax and spending bill has to start in the House of Representatives because that's the body that's up for re-election every two years and has to has to stand for re-election. So that, that is just ridiculous that it's going to. And if it was so easy to do, why in the world? Wasn't it ever done before? For goodness' sake! So no, that that is wrong. Uh, Speaker McCarthy has been negotiating in, I think, a great way. He started clear back on January 12th. And Joe Biden took the position: Oh, we're gonna, you know, record spending, record inflation, record debt. But I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm just going to keep uh, just keep giving me more money so I can keep spending. No, that's not how it works. And so I do think we're going to get a good agreement in the end. Um, when, when it's all said and done. Well, I, I hope so. And I hope that it isn't the Biden administration's intention to just, uh, like they did with, you know, the COVID policies, like they've done with immigration policies and things to just say, well, we're going to just go ahead and act. And, you know, maybe it'll be found unconstitutional later, but we're going to just try to go outside the boundaries. And, and to your point, I mean, Article 1, Section 8, which is all of the subject matter that uh, is given to Congress, uh, specifically says in 8.2 to borrow money on the credit of the United States. That, that's, that is the ability and the function to create more debt, not paying off existing debt, but to create it. So Biden cannot unilaterally create more debt. And so I mean, has, has there been any communication from them, uh, from the administration with Speaker McCarthy or Congress that you're aware of that they're just kind of saying, well, we don't care. We're going to go ahead and do this anyway? I don't, I don't think so. I think they're going to negotiate. I think they know that they're on thin ice, and it's just, that makes no sense. And and frankly, our side would—I mean, Republicans would just—we we would we'd say we'd jump up and down, and scream and shout about that. This is just wrong. And and I think he would lose in court, as you point out. But uh, we just don't want to go down that route. Let's do it. Let's have a negotiation. Let's do it like we're supposed to. We got to divide a government. Let's figure it out. Yeah, 100 percent. And um, I'm speaking with Congressman Jim Jordan. And, you know, the other um, thing that I wanted to ask you about as well is and there's so much that you've been doing on Capitol Hill. And this is with the Judiciary Committee um, and the the question of, you know, why is the border crisis happening? And I think for a lot of people looking at um, border policies and looking at some of these things. Um, you have been taking testimony on some of these things and Biden's um, catch and release policies. And so uh, what has been uh, kind of what has been uncovered and what's been the direction of of the uh, Judiciary Committee there? Well, you're exactly right, Jenna. This is intentional. Day one, they decided that they were not going to continue building the wall, that they were going to get rid of the Remain in Mexico policy that worked so well under President Trump. And they decided that when people come in the country, they're going to be released. So when, when you send the message to the world that, oh, there's no wall to get over, you won't have to wait in Mexico to have your claim evaluated, and when you get into the country, you'll be released wherever you want to go, everyone's going to come. 
And until you change that fundamental thing, we will not release you into the country. We will detain you or you will have to wait in Mexico while we evaluate your asylum claim. Until you make that change, nothing's going to change. And so our legislation that we passed three weeks ago, that was the fundamental focus of our bill, and it passed. It was the strongest immigration enforcement and border security legislation ever passed in modern history in the United States House of Representatives. It's a good bill, but that's the fundamental issue, and they, they have created this intensely, which, which sort of raises the, the, the sort of the, the, the basic question, why? Why would they do this to these people who are having bad things happen to on this journey? Why would they do this to our country, uh, just how radical the left has become today? And and it's so tragic, and it also reinforces this this idea that is implicit in our founding documents that we have to have good legislative solutions, not just executive solutions. Because while President Trump's um, executive orders and things were very helpful for the border, that can be rescinded, and so we need solid legislation. And so, is um, what what is your take on whether or not that legislation will ultimately make its way through, or do we need to look beyond 2024 to get this kind of thing? There. That, that bill is not going to get through a Democrat uh, Senate, and Joe Biden wouldn't sign it because, frankly, even if he did want to sign it, the left wouldn't let him, and, and the, the, the left now controls that party. So, But this will become the blueprint if, in fact, we win the White House and win uh, the Senate, if President Trump's president again and we, we take back the Senate. This will be the blueprint. This is the bill we will pass. Just get it through, and it will actually fix the problem. But in the meanwhile, you know, this, we've had these record numbers, 5 million illegal aliens encountered at our, our border since Joe Biden took office. 3.5 million are in the country, uh, 370,000 unaccompanied kids. They've lost track of 85,000. Some of those kids are small kids and bad things are happening to them. Uh, others are, are, are people who say they're children, but they're 17 or 18-year-old uh, uh, gang members of MS-13. So the, and the Biden administration doesn't know where 85,000 these these type of individuals are. So that's the, the scary thing. That will get... That will get fixed if we win back the White House and the Senate and keep the House. But uh, short of that, I think it's unfortunately it's going to continue. Yeah. And, and last question I have for you, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, and always really appreciate all of your time and your insights and updates. Um, so with any of these things that you've uncovered and the testimony that you are still receiving, um, some of your colleagues, um, for example, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others have suggested that there are impeachable offenses for uh, Joe Biden. And uh, would you at this point support any of that? Or is that something that Congress is seriously looking at in terms of um, the next you know, year and a half leading up to 2024. We're gonna, we're, yeah, we're going to follow the facts, follow the evidence. Uh, and look, I, I certainly think uh, Secretary Mayorkas warrants it, but that is a decision that we have to first lay out the evidence and get get do 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 our do our hearings, do our investigations, and and see if that if that in fact is there. Uh, it seems to me it is. But that is also a decision that the entire conference has to make. The Republican conference, because once you decide that you're going to proceed with impeachment, um, then it becomes all-consuming. I, I, and I know what it was like because I was on the other side of it, defending <laughs> President Trump, as you were, uh, and just how, how that just dominates Capitol Hill. Um, so we will have to make that decision as a conference. Well, thank you so much, um, Congressman Jim Jordan. And I really appreciate the fact that you are, we want to follow the facts and the evidence and go where the evidence leads. This shouldn't just ever be a political process. It shouldn't just be, well, um, now that Republicans are in control, then we're going to go and you know have a knee-jerk reaction. And there were some uh, Republicans that suggested that, you know, we should impeach Biden on day one. And it's like, well, you know, we need to always follow the process. And so um, just in the last few minutes of this show that we have, and again, uh, Governor 
Governor DeSantis will be making his announcement tonight on the Twitter space with Elon Musk. So we will, of course, um, be reacting to that tomorrow morning and uh, have more commentary and, and insight there and uh, maybe take some phone calls tomorrow. But um, and, and I always love hearing from you. You can reach us, Jenna at AFR.net. Always appreciate um, hearing from our listeners as well. And, you know, we have to uh, be concerned, as Abe Hamilton uh, and I were talking about in the last two segments uh, before Congressman Jordan joined us, that we always, as constitutional conservatives and also as Christians, need to be concerned about law and order and maintaining the process and the procedure. And that is so important in the landscape of the Constitution and when it comes to the government especially, because if we have bad precedent and we just say, well, the Democrats ran afoul of the Constitution, so that justifies us, well, then we are helping tear down the Constitution. We are helping set bad precedent. And, of course, we want wins, but we should want legitimate wins. We should always be concerned about what the law calls the ex-ante, which is the precedent, the future, not just what is the resolution in this one instance for these particular facts. Um, you may be really um, excited about the prospect of Joe Biden being impeached. Um, from a political standpoint, I would love it. From a constitutional standpoint, I don't want to see that Article One power so abused that because of the two sham impeachments of Donald Trump and, and Congressman Jordan was right. I mean, he and I spent a lot of hours together with this with the other uh, members of Congress and the other uh, team that was defending President Trump and the legal team to push back against these sham impeachments. But we can't just because those were a sham then support a sham impeachment against our own political opponents. I mean, a lot of people have asked me as well. Because I've gotten a lot of bar complaints filed against me by political opponents. They just don't like me or even more than that, they don't like my former client because his name is Donald Trump. And I'm not going to then go out and file frivolous, politically motivated complaints against my uh, my fellow colleagues who are lawyers just because I don't particularly politically like who they're representing, then I would be functionally no different than them. We need to always be champions of truth. And part of truth is genuine justice. It's law and order and making sure that we have a moral and upright society. If left to man, we have utter chaos. We have arbitrary whims of petty tyrants that are fallen sinners. Out of chaos, God himself created order and design. We have to always be advocates for the person of truth and having more of that person, God himself, in society. And we have to stay within those margins. So let's all make a commitment to stay within those margins, have difficult discussions, but have the Christian worldview at the heart of everything we talk about, whether it's Trump versus DeSantis, whether it's impeachments, whether it's policy of any sort. Let's be Christians first. I'll see you tomorrow from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Make it a great day. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.